Sean. Hey, Radcast is on. And welcome to the show, Mr. Jim Zumbo. Gentlemen, I am pleased to be here, and I use that term loosely when I say gentlemen. Al Winder. Just want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to hang out with us on a podcast for a little bit. Hey, I'm looking forward to it. There's nothing makes me happier than a cold in Minnesota. If I can't be out fishing, I should be talking about fishing. Hailing from Wisconsin, Jenna Waller. Thank you so much for having me. It's Redcast. Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. Powered by Bo Spider. Brought to you by PK Lures and High Mountain Seasonings. And now, here's your hosts, Patrick Edwards and David Merrill. Well, welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors, everybody. I'm Patrick Edwards. And I'm David Merrill. We had a cool thing that happened over the last couple of weeks we want to tell you about. We are now on Carbon TV, right, David? Yes, this will be one of the episodes you'll be able to listen to on Carbon TV. We're super excited to be on that platform. I've been uh, poking around and checking out all the other content on there, and there's a lot of it, Patrick. Yeah, it's pretty extensive. I was surprised at all the different shows that they had available, and it was an inspiration to us to get on there after having Christy Titus on, who's also on there, Jana Waller, and uh, Pete Rogers as well. So maybe we should be on here since this is where a lot of our audience would be, right? Correct. That's it's exciting to be on there. It's exciting to see the growth. This is we're starting November. We'll be starting year five, Patrick. Yeah. We're climbing episodes for sure. Getting up there, still getting out and about. It's not hard water season yet. I wanted to let everybody know we have one more exciting piece of news. Talking about fishing and out and about. I did see a post and a picture that it's official. We do have a world record holder on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I got notification after six months of waiting in agony about my world pending world record. It happened. Have a have an and all you tackle. smashed the old record. It wasn't an ounce, right? It was almost a pound. Actually, a couple ounces. The state record I smashed. The world record I actually tied the guy. We co-hold the record, but. I also had 0.4 ounces on there, and they round down. So I'm going to say that I won it out. By, by about half an ounce. All right, hey, what? Horseshoe, horseshoes, atom bombs, and hand grenades. That's where it counts <laughs> in close. Yeah, no, it's pretty cool for the state of Wyoming, too, because we only have one other all-tackle world record, and the only other one is the golden trout, which I would much rather have that one, but I don't. So... I'll take what I can get, and having the white sucker all tackle world record is pretty cool. That means it's the biggest of that species on any type of fishing line, rod, reel, any of that. So it's pretty cool. Well, you were talking about all tackled world record is held in here in Wyoming, so we need to get a few more of those. Shovel nose needs to come here, so you got work to do. That's what I would say. Yeah, I was doing some research on that just the other day just for fun, and so I had the world record or the World Fishing Hall of Fame, Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. I had their book out, and I had the IGFA book out. I'll tell you what, man, there's some really tough ones. It's going to be really hard to break some of those. I was, Although for the IGFA, there there is some hope for some of the younger folks, so like our kids. They have a juniors division, and then they also have a small fry division for kids, and there's several species in there that are vacant. Like no one has a record of any kind, and their species. You just have to catch a fish. Yep, and they're species that we have here in Wyoming, so it's potentially one of our kids could be an IGFA world record holder. They, it wouldn't be an all-tackle, but it would be for their age group and their division. That's definitely a doable thing if they wanted to do it. That would be really exciting if one of the kids was a world record IGFA holder. That's that's actually, there's a potential. So everybody else could books, and you might be, not be able to get in the adult division, but take a kid. 
put the rod and reel in their hands and see if you can get them a record. Yeah, and it's funny. You can see which species are super popular because the walleye has a whole bunch of different records. Walleye being one of the most popular game fish in North America, largemouth bass. There's a bunch of them that have records, but then you start getting to the more obscure things like tiger muskies and tiger trout and stuff like that. And there's a lot less of them. If you're going to go break a world record, maybe that's something you look for. Some species only have the all tackle division open. So if you look at IGFA, the white sucker, that's all they do is the all tackle. But if you go to the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, you can do the all tackle and all the line class records too. And so it's based on the type of line you're using and you have to send all that in and get it tested for break strength and a number of other things, but you can get a world record that way. So there's, and Danny, his name is in that line class world record book a lot. He's in there a whole bunch, which is cool to see that he still has a whole bunch of golden trout records and mountain whitefish and other cool things that we have here in Wyoming. That's pretty neat. When we were up elk hunting, we took the kids to elk camp for about three days. I, I would say elk hunting was on pause, but we were at elk camp, and certainly it was a it was a good time. We took the kids uh, fly fishing in the stream and caught a lot of trout. That's awesome. What was the was it all like brook trout or what? We can at least get over some of the particulars about how to do a world record and all that. Basically. The idea of how to go about finding a world record that you can break and then going after it. How's that sound? Yep. I can even lead when you hit the flag button and tell me when you're ready. Go for it. Patrick, for everybody out there, how do you go about, you've identified that there's a slot or a species that you like to fish for, and we've talked about getting it weighed and certified, but how would you go about identifying a potential species to go after and what would you do if you were going to truly do that? Yeah. So I'd say it's going to vary by individual, but like for most people, you just have to get an awareness of what the records are. There's a lot of records out there. And you also have to look at who the you know issuing agency or organization is. So there's the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. They have their own record book. It's totally independent of the IGFA. And so what I would recommend is you can go online and you can go to their websites and you can scour and look and see what some of those records are. Or you can do like I did and pay a membership and get the books so that you can see what they are and just easily flip through them, highlight, and just see who's got what record. Then the other thing is you got to look and see what are the species in my area that I could potentially break a record, right? Golden trout in Wyoming, you could potentially break that record because we have golden trout here. If you're living in a state that doesn't have golden trout, it's going to be a lot harder, right? (laughs) So that's just common sense. But You want to look for the species that actually grow big in your part of the United States or abroad and start working on that, especially if you have a body of water that's close by. But it's as simple as that. Now, why are records important? For a lot of reasons. I think it brings excitement to fishing, right? It gives you something fun and exciting to chase after. And I also think that it shows that conservation efforts are working because... People keep saying, oh, there's not going to be any more records for this kind of fish or that kind of fish. And yet every year you have different records being broken. Like I was talking to the guy from the Game and Fish that was interviewing me about my two state records. And he said, I'm just so surprised at how many state records there have been lately. And it's it's surprising, but not like I, I feel like conservation efforts and fish biology has come a long ways and we're growing bigger and better fish. And so I think that having world records, having ultimate angler programs, master angler programs, it goes a long way in just helping to 
raise awareness about growing some of those bigger fish and really encouraging people to be good stewards of what they have. We've talked about that on lots of levels and I understand from the hunting aspect a little more, but I would say the biologists are doing a more holistic approach to reservoir and stream management. And whether you're a a catch and release or a catch and take, we won't get too far into that argument, but those creel limits are set and are pretty well monitored anymore. You don't have the good old days where people just went out and caught what they caught and did what they did. It's a little more regulated for sure. And that the benefit of that is we're seeing higher quality fisheries across the nation. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think if the fish biologists are doing their due diligence and doing their job, the bodies of water that need you to come and catch and take, they're going to encourage that by setting creel limits that are very liberal, right? So that people can take a lot of fish. Maybe they have a slot limit where you can only keep them at a certain size. Those kind of things, I think, really help fish populations grow and help you grow record-sized fish. The ones that just stay the same all the time and they don't really pay attention to them because there are some places like that's where you have a problem and I think like just here locally here in Fremont County like we have an opportunity to grow some really big fish because we have biologists that are paying attention and it's really cool to bring a world record to Fremont County especially from one that was in Minnesota Minnesota is known for fishing right like I would say Wyoming is more known for its hunting than its fishing, but we have some incredible fishing here. And so it's pretty cool to bring a world record back to the state and to see our fisheries biologists get really excited about it. I thought that was pretty cool too. So explain to me, what is a slot limit for somebody nomenclature who's never heard that term before? Yeah. So it's basically just saying like certain size fish you can keep, certain size you can't. So in some states, like if you catch a walleye, between 15 inches and 20 inches you can only keep two or three of those and then you have to throw back everything under that size and maybe they'll let you keep one over that size so they're regulating the population based on the sizes that they want so flaming gorge is an example where they want you to keep lake trout under 24 inches or 28 inches something like that but they want you to release the bigger fish because they have too many of the smaller fish in the reservoir to feed and there's only so much food in that body of water so that's essentially what slot limits are designed to do is you want to keep a healthy population of a certain size and you want to have those eaters that people can take home and by doing that you reduce the amount of biomass or the amount of mouths to feed in that body of water thus sustaining a better healthier population where fish can actually grow to behemoth size and i would say thinking about it it's pretty easy in the hunting world to do that kind of regulation of slot limit sometimes they say three point minimum sometimes it's antlerless only sometimes it's antlered only and they have a whole bunch of reasons why they're putting those limitations to achieve different outcomes right either reduce herd size increase quality increase male to female but in fishing it's a little harder to especially freshwater fish to really sex those fish and say oh that's a male that's a female during spawning time Potentially, yes. I think of salmon. Yeah, it's pretty easy when they're getting ready to spawn. They run up the river going, oh, that's a buck. That's a hen. 365, catching a walleye out in the lake. I, I could, until it's filleted, I couldn't really tell you what it was. Yeah, some fish species, it's pretty hard to tell the difference. And like you said, some of them, it's super easy. But some states go to, out in the Midwest, you have states that have fish 
openers and closers. Like they have closed fishing season certain times a year for certain kinds of fish or certain drainages. Even in Wyoming, we have certain drainages that are closed at certain times to protect those spawning fish. And that again, it all goes back to that stewardship piece. What they want to do is have a good successful spawn so that we have lots of fish in the future. And I'm all in favor of that as long as it's not too restrictive and it's actually based on what's best for that fishery. But that quite a bit different bodies of water sturgeon might be protected certain times like around here sauger if protected on the wind river at certain times and so you just have to pay attention and make sure that you're abiding by those regulations and that you're doing it right it's all for the betterment of those species and it's important to pay attention to that because we want good fishing for our kids oh yeah a world record I'd love to go chase would be halibut, right? But to sit here in Wyoming and say, you know what, I'm going to go break the, <laughs> the halibut world record. It's 400 pounds and there's been halibut are not a difficult fish species to target. They just aren't. If you've catfished, they're similar to that. They're going to eat bait that's on the bottom. Getting bait in front of them is the important part. Getting it on the fish is like anything. You, you can be in the same body of water on two different boats and one guy's limited out one guy doesn't catching fish so part of it is just where you're at right but for me to sit here and say oh i'm gonna go get that record you got to catch a lot of halibut and let a lot of halibut go and you got to spend a lot of time and halibut live coastal water specific and atlantic i'm a long ways from either either ocean realistically for me to sit down and say i'm going to get the next world record halibut. That's not a great goal to set for myself. However, if I want to set golden trout, shovel nose sturgeon, maybe even sucker. I, I know where a world record sucker was caught. I, I think there might be <laughs> another one out there. There could be. And that's the thing. I've, I've had a couple of people message me. They're like, we're going to come for your record. I'm like, do it. That's, that's the point is that records are meant to be broken, right? And I'm sure it'll happen at some point. But this IGFA record has stood for almost 40 years. That's a long time. But it can but be if it, broken. if it stands for six months or if it stands for 60 years, you've got the piece of paper. You've gone out and accomplished it and done it and given recognition to that fish species. And part of that shows that, again, that ecosystem, that habitat's got to be healthy if it's producing quantity and quality at the same time. Yeah, and I've told people for a long time, we are really lucky to live where we do because there are some massive fish here you look at the state record walleye was over 17 pounds the yellow perch over two pounds crappie over two pounds there's some big fish in this area and the potential for world records exists not just with white sucker to your point we could get a world record sauger here we could do a world record a lot of things but it just depends again on the body of water the environmental conditions but what's really cool is that I think everybody across the country has an opportunity. You just have to go and see what species of fish that you have that you could potentially chase a record for. It's fun to to think about and something fun to try. It's always good to have goals. It's usually mine is like master anglers or I want to catch a new species or I want to catch a new fish to try to cook. And all that culminated in this world record because I wouldn't normally target sucker. I don't target sucker on purpose very often. And it's just another really cool species to go after. Again, if you're going to call yourself a great angler, which I hope to be able to do someday, you really got to be able to catch all the fish and learn how to catch all those fish. And that's part of the fun. You got to be multifaceted. And as you talk about that, I think about bear hunting, very specifically carnivore hunting. But bear hunting 
You've got to set goals, right? And if your goal when you first say is, I'm going to break the world record black bear, good luck, go ahead, have fun, right? I'm not going to say you shouldn't have that goal or somebody shouldn't. For me personally, it was I wanted to get a bear. Then I wanted to get a lot of bears. Then I wanted to get a big bear. And now I just want to interact and see and be within bears territory, bear country and be able to know what that bear is going to do before he does it, right? Oh, he's going to use this saddle. He's going to use that edge of timber. Oh, he's going to come back out here. And the next goal is wolf. And then the next goal is mountain lion. And then the next goal, and there's, you can keep setting those goals and you don't have to be, for lack of a better word, back east whitetail hunter and say, I'm going to break the county, the state, then the world record in inches of whitetail. It can just be, I'm going to break the record of an how many deer walk under my stand this year and don't notice that I'm there, right? It could be a catch and release. How many rainbows can I catch and release on this body of water? And I think of a couple of reservoirs that are close to us that on the right day, on the right time, boating 15 or 20 rainbows is a fun day. Oh, yeah. It's so much fun. And giving yourself something to chase after is always a good thing. And no matter what you do in podcasting for us, it's how many episodes can we put out that are compelling and that people want to listen to? How many different states can we get people in to listen to it? You got to have goals for everything that you do in life. And I think for me, for fishing, there's lots of different reasons that I do stuff. Like my kids, I want them to catch master anglers because I want them to get to catch all these cool fish and I want to do it too. And it's just a fun thing that we can all do together. But I think another cool part of it for me, especially over the last several years, has been, can I catch this fish and what does it taste like? Can I make with it? And that's where the whole sucker thing started was Jim Zumbo talking about you can do this with them and you can do that with them. So, man, I've never really tried that. Same thing with carp. Like I tried a bunch of stuff with carp this year. I would have never done. I don't ever target carp specifically until this year, but it is fun to expand your horizons, right? And see what kind of angler you are, see what you're made of. And then of course, see what that resource is all about. See what that fish brings to the table, quite literally, that could be interesting or new. And it's good to push yourself to try those new things. Oh, you get to Alaska and everybody turns their nose up at Pollock and pink salmon. They look at them like trash fish, right? And I've heard it in this county specifically, oh, antelope are are nasty, right? We've had this discussion (laughs) on the podcast before. And that comes back to the sucker, right? Nobody looks at a sucker and they don't have a face a mother can love. They just don't. They're not a beautiful fish. I'm sorry, Patrick. I know you're the world record holder, but they're not endearing to look at, okay? I, I hold up a walleye on the fence, borderline. Sorry, you can scream all you want. Trout are beautiful, right? A big old brown trout cutthroat rainbow. You hold that fish up and then you get into the Dolly Varden, the Arctic char. Those are beautiful fish, right? Yep. And you could put that on the wall mount and be like cool the sucker yeah it's pretty close to a catfish it's yeah, okay it's a fish <laughs> but where i was going with that is it is important to set goals in your life whether you're a hunter fisher whether you're in track and field wrestling outdoors indoors maybe your goal is maybe it's i want to get up 15 minutes before work every day and have everything ready and be on time right and for some people that's a hard goal to achieve but what you'll find incrementally as you set that goal, it'll become easy. Okay, maybe I'm going to get up 20 minutes. I got a buddy that comes and goes hunting with me and man, that guy will get up at 
3.30 in the morning to go. And if I let him set the clock, we're getting up at 3.30. I like to set the clock at, you know, if it's daylight at 6.30, let's get up at 5.50 and let's leave camp at 6 and let's be hiking by 6.15 and we'll be hiking 15 minutes in the dark and get maybe up the trailer over the ridge just as it's cresting daylight. He's, nope, I'm in control of the clock today and we're getting up. And we did. We got up. We hiked two hours in the dark. We killed milk that morning. It was a good morning. But being able to test your limits, I don't care what it is, that's the fun part is, hey, can I do this? And then once you do that, it's, okay, where's the upper limit to this? And what I know physically, we do some of these really hardcore backpack hunts, right? A lot of times your mind will mentally say, I am exhausted. I can't do another day of this. I can't do another mile of this. And if you just tell that little voice in the back of your head that says, I can't, to go away for a minute... You'd be surprised that all of a sudden you got 80 more percent potential left in you once you go past that quitting point. And the other day I read about, it's cruel, but they took rats in a swimming pool and they threw them out in a pool. And these rats would, on average, swim about 14 minutes before they'd give up and drown. They found that if the uh, researchers would scoop them out, rescue them, dry them off, let them rest for a few minutes, and then throw them back in the pool... How long do you think these rats would continue to swim for? Remember, they've had a five-minute rest. They just, on average, a whole bunch of them swam for 15 minutes before they perished. So they get a five-minute rest, they go back in the pool. You would think that they'd, on average, make it another 10 minutes and then succumb, or maybe 20, maybe 30. No, two and a half days, because the rats believed they would be rescued at some point. That's what I'm telling you is, guys, I've taken out elk hunting who've never gone. They're a mile into a 12-mile day, and they're like, ah, we got to go back to camp or I can't do it. I'm like, let's have a water break. Let's have a rest. Let's sit here for a minute. Let's cow call. But I already know the elk are another mile or two miles up in a meadow, and then we got to get on them and chase them another three miles. Maybe not chase them, but at least follow them to their bedding spot and lay there next to their bedding spot while they're sleeping. Wait till they get up. Same thing fish, right? You see a little bit of a morning bite. The morning bite quits. How many guys say, ah, we're done and go home and are back at their house by lunchtime versus another guy that pulls a sandwich out of a cooler, finds a shady cove to just have lunch in, maybe let the kids out on the beach, throw some rocks. And then early afternoon, they're back at it in that same spot and they're hammering the fish again. Those fish are finicky in places, right? Halibut in Alaska. You can go from, and it's all dependent on tide. You you know this, mm-hmm. but walleye are the same way. It depends on the sun. You can be on a shady cove in the right spot, just hammering the fish. And it's like somebody turns a switch and all of a sudden you're on the same lure, same spot, 15 minutes later and you can't catch a fish. You cannot buy a bite. And all of a sudden, if you wait two or three hours, maybe that sun moves around the hill, maybe it gets shady, creates a natural environment where that predator can be a predator again, and all of a sudden the bite's back on, and you're in them. That's one cool thing with some of these lures is you are, like I think about the ridge rattler, you're really triggering that instinctive predatory actions on those fish, right? They think they're getting a, an easy meal. I just I thought it was really interesting learning that set those goals, push yourself, figure out where your limits are, and then set new goals and do it again. And that's so what is the new world record goal, Patrick? I don't know. I I think this next year I'll probably try to become the sole holder of that record if I have time to really put into those. But for me, it's moving on to other species at this point and seeing what's out there and 
again, guys, if you want to go look at the record books, go for it. I have my mind on some. But that record specifically, you didn't leave the house. We've talked about it. You didn't leave the house and say, hey, I'm going to go break the record. You had been talking to Zumbo about cooking these species, and you're like, you know what? Everybody throws these on the bank and says they're disgusting. I want to, for myself, not to prove the world wrong. You just want to really go out and test. And so you were out there trying to catch fish for the table, literally. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's been a fun thing this year is I've also been like, is this really a fact? Cause like Seth brought some smoked carp to me last year and it was really good. And I was like, man, my whole life I've been told that these fish are terrible, just like with the suckers. So I actually spent some time and caught multiple species. I had long nose sucker, white sucker and common carp tried them different ways and i'll tell you what smoked carp is delicious if you haven't tried that and i know people are screaming at me right now saying all they're garbage but they actually taste very good you'll be regretting how many you threw up on the bank over the years like i was because you do it right with that high mountain seasonings gourmet fish brine and you take care of the fish when you catch them and you don't leave them up on the bank in the heat just like you wouldn't want to do with an antelope have them laying out there in the heat if you take care of them right and you get them in a good brine, you rinse them good, you smoke them. They're really darn good. And I think it's been a really good year for me just from a learning perspective and curiosity perspective to see what's out there as far as some of these so-called trash fish and just getting to enjoy them. Carp fight like no other. I would say suckers fight okay. Like they're not the best fighting fish in the world, but catching them is fun because you have to have a good feel like you're fishing worms on the bottom but you can feel them pick them up and you have to be good at reacting because if you're not they'll spit it out and so each species has something fun and it's been a fun year and just just so happened i got an all tackle world record out of the deal so it's pretty fun and i would go thinking about protein procurement and edibility i just mentioned it a moment ago pink salmon humpies are considered trash fish in alaska if you get one that's got some lice on it and you fillet it and cook it and i'm not talking you throw it in the back of the truck you drive around for the afternoon oh I will no i'm talking pull it out of the cold water flare it right now put it in a ziploc bag you take it home right now and you bake it it's dang good salmon and the same thing we do ham or home canned tuna fish. The difference between the bumblebee tuna that you buy in the store and my home canned tuna, and it goes down to the antelope, right? The difference of the guy that throws his whole antelope, hide feathers and guts in it, drives over the butcher and drops it off and says, here, take care of this for me. And then they go, oh, that tastes nasty. If you catch a couple of carp and you throw them in the back of your truck and drive around and, oh, I guess we'll try eating one. Ah, these are disgusting. It's, yep. It comes down to field care of the protein. And I can tell you that Pollock are really good, as good as almost every other whitefish. I prefer halibut a little better just because of texture and volume. But if I cook fried halibut and fried Pollock in the same batter, the same way in the same oil, there's a marginal texture difference. But as far as flavor, there's not a whole, you're not going to sit here and say, oh, this is One's trash and one's phenomenal. You go, I like, I prefer this one over that one. And that's what people need to get wrap their mind around is. Now, the one that I will say, raccoons and coyotes, I, I'm not eating them. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't blame you. But to go to your example, I have fried some carp up with and served it to people and they had no idea that it was any different. So if you don't believe me, go get Hank Shaw's hook, line, and supper. Learn how to care for fish properly. Go out, catch some carp, and then smoke them fry them up, do whatever. And you're probably going to change your mind on carp. You may not. And maybe you're just not going to eat them because it's against your principles, whatever those are. But if you try it, 
you might actually like it. So, but anyway, it's fun. What are the quick prep on sucker and carp? What would you highly recommend somebody does if they want to go out and try these two supposed trash fish species? Yep. So it's pretty simple. Bring a cooler full of ice and have like a slurry in the bottom. So ice and water, catch the fish. As soon as you get it landed, bonk it on the head and, you know, pull the gills. That way they can bleed out. Let them bleed out in the water. That's important because otherwise they won't bleed out all the way. Then throw them in that ice slurry, keep them cold, get them home. You can, uh, what I recommend is to scale, especially the carp, because those scales fall off if you're going to smoke them. But a carp, you can leave the sucker with the scales on if, if you want to smoke it. It's not going to harm anything. But anyway, I would put it in like gourmet fish brine from High Mountain Seasonings. Do that for a full day in the fridge, let it brine, then rinse it really good, pat it down, let it come up to a little bit closer to room temperature before you put it on the smoker so it develops a pellicle so that smoke will stick. Then smoke it with apple until it's done and good and safe to eat. And then while it's still warm and you bring it out of the smoker, it's really important, pull those bones, pull those pin bones because everybody complains about their bones, but pull those bones out while they're warm and you'll be just fine. If you let it cool and you try to pull those bones, the little Y bones that come off of there will break off in the meat and you'll be choking and spitting on those. But I'll tell you what, man, they are absolutely delicious. And I'm going to put a video out one of these days here pretty soon. I actually shot some video doing smoke carp, smoke sucker. So we'll get that out there and you guys can check it out. But it's really not that difficult and it's not that much different than what you ought to be doing with trout anyway. And there's a lot of them. Like you can catch carp anywhere and you can catch suckers just about anywhere. And they taste pretty darn good. I will say though, if I had my preference of one to eat over the other, I would take carp over sucker simply because carp bones are a lot easier to deal with. And the flavor of smoked carp is smoked ham. It's really darn good. That's a whole bunch of information right there. People are going to have to replay that part (laughs) once or twice. But the part that you taught me as far as smoking the salmon is letting that salmon after pulling it out of the fridge in the brine, we have this huge wire racks and you can do like 30 salmon at a time, but letting it room temperature slash airflow until it develops a sick, sticky film, mm-hmm. pellicle, you call it right yep. over the top of the meat. And that allows the smoke to actually adhere to that meat better. I had always just pulled it out of the brine, <laughs> thrown it in the smoker, turned the smoker on. And I am shocked at the difference by just letting that fish. I mean, we're talking 20 to 50 minutes. We're not talking three hours, but it just depends on your sun, your humidity, your wind. But, and you just got to touch the fish. And when it starts being sticky, stick it in the smoker and the smoke sticks to that sticky film. And it's night and day difference. The flavor that you get into the amount of smoke flavor that you get into that piece of meat. Yep. And all the credit for that and me learning that was from Mr. Jim Zumbo. He had taught me that. Yeah. It's a revolutionary deal if you're into smoking fish as much as I am, because it adds a lot more of that smoke flavor and it's just so much better. Um, so do that. And there's lots of articles on how to do that, but it's a game changer for sure. But I know we got to get going. I've got stuff I got to go do, but David, it's pretty cool to bring a world record home to Wyoming. And hopefully over the next few years, we see more people doing that. And of course I'm going to keep chasing records and chasing master anglers, but it's been pretty fun. It's a good learning experience. And there's so many great opportunities out there for all of you listening. Look at your different fish species in your area, talk to your fisheries biologists and go out there and try to catch some. And who knows, you may find another fish that you catch that you actually like to eat too. So that's always a bonus. I've talking to them. There's several bodies of water within 
hour's drive of Fremont County here that have world record or state record fish swimming in them right now. So the records are out there. Can you catch them? That's the question. That's the question. And are you willing to put in the time? Yeah, that's the other part because it is a time commitment. But if you're willing to put in the time and the effort, you can probably get it done. Anyway, again, it's been good to talk about it. It's fun to always have everybody on the podcast. If you haven't already, go check us out on Carbon TV. Again, the folks at Carbon TV are really great. There's tons of different shows and it's just a great platform for if you love hunting and fishing. And so it's a privilege to be After on After you it. listen to Titus and Waller, you can <laughs> hop over and check out. They each have a podcast and TV show, so yep. there's a whole bunch more uh, information to consume. So the, the world's your oyster, everybody. Yep, and check out Pete Rogers and his podcast too. There's so many good ones on there. But again, David, yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast today and interviewing me about world records. It's, it's Go good. get another one. Yeah. Gonna, all right, man. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. I think that's where we end our buddy. Thanks again for listening to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. If so, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and and give us a five-star rating, which really helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at radcast.com. While you're there, please help support the show by purchasing a Radcast Outdoors shirt or hat. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a Radcast community on Facebook called Radcast Nation, and we'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thank you again to PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors.